All right. We are going to have fun this week and for the next several weeks because we will have the me not killing myself Olympics because that, that candle doesn't look that close until I'm standing right in front of it and then realize that at some point I'm going to do something really dumb and like turn the wrong way and run into it. Yeah, yeah. Trudy's already doing the math in her head and, ch- and checking the angles. <laughs> she, she's got the line of sight. You, you and Marilyn and Dan are going to like, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak forward and, and climb into Vern and Denny's laps here a little bit just to, just to make me a little bit safer. <laughs> so... All right, something actually productive. This, the, okay, that's, that's safer. I very rarely do two steps back, so one is as, most, as much as I do. There we go. We're, we're safe that way. That is not a misprint. We are starting off the Advent season. We are kicking off Christmas with the Weeping Prophet. Yay! Because when I say Christmas, you just all immediately go, Jeremiah, the guy they threw in a ditch and left for dead, right? Yes, that's where we're going to start with. Why? Because the first Sunday of Advent is supposed to be a Sunday of hope. And I do not believe there is a better symbol of hope in the Old Testament than the ministry of Jeremiah. Fifty years of prophetic warnings to people while they literally hurled scorn, abuse, slander, and pain upon him. And he walked faithfully. Why? Because his trust was not in them, his trust is in God. His command does not come from them, it comes from God. There is much that we can learn and much that we should carry forward. So that is why we will borrow from Jeremiah this morning. Now, rules for your Bible that we always go over. What should we never do? Yeah, well, don't do that, but that's not the, don't do dumb things. We never, ever, ever read one verse, so we're good, right? We're not reading one verse, but... What's the second rule that we are most certainly violating this morning? Yeah, we don't start in the middle. Chapter 31 does not start at the beginning, does it? So we have left some things out. So we will now fill you in. Because the beauty of Jeremiah and the prophetic books in general is they lend themselves to large summaries. So Jeremiah appropriately is from Anatoth, which is uh, the, the inheritance of Benjamin. His name literally means God throws. In his life, he probably thought, yeah, to the wolves. But anyway, he has a ministry that goes from 627-ish to around 570-ish. Some people think his ministry goes all the way down towards the 550s. He was there for a really long time. Now, context, context, context. What happens before chapter 31? This is really easy. Chapter 1, Jeremiah is called and commissioned to his ministry. Chapters 2 through 29, he promises judgment against Judah. And I'm not kidding. Chapters 2 through 29 is basically, you people are all evil and God is going to judge your sin. That's a nice little summary. Um, chapter 30 is a prophecy of promised deliverance, which we will for this, uh, this time forward call the Burt Reynolds chapter. Oh, nobody got the deliverance joke. I'm so disappointed. I even put it in my notes. See? All right. So chapter 30 picks up where judgment leaves off in 29, where redemption, salvation is coming for God's people. Chapter 31 is a prophecy on the future joy of those redeemed people. That's where we are picking up right here. So, shall we dive in? All right. We're starting with our favorite word in the Bible. You ready, Chad? Verse 31. Behold! And yes, I'm contractually obligated to say it like that every single time if you didn't notice. 
just because I can't, I can't not do it. I started doing it a while back. Yeah, and I just can't do it. So it's, it's Moses and behold. So, all right. Days are coming, declares the Lord. I really should fix that background. Can you guys even see that? You, okay, you're, if, you're, if you're good, I'll have to fix that next week. I apologize for not getting that candle cleared out. Um, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, is one of Jeremiah's favorite phrases. He uses it 15 times, and he uses it for both blessings and cursings. Just a nice way to kick off that who's speaking. God is speaking. Jeremiah is not running around telling you what he thinks is a good idea. He's running around telling you what God has told him to declare. So what is this declaration? When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is good. We would like a new covenant, right? If you're Judah and Israel, you would like a new covenant. But let's see who is being really clever in their Bible history. Anything odd about that verse right off the bat? Let's try this again and see. Okay, if you're a history person, put your history cap on. You ready? Jeremiah's ministry runs from around 627 to 570. 627 to 570. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Yes, two nations. What's the problem with that? What happened in 722? No, they split in 970. In 722, the Assyrians destroyed Israel. There is no Israel. And by the time Jeremiah is on the scene doing his prophetic ministry, there hasn't been a kingdom of Israel in over a century. Hard to make a covenant with a group of people that don't exist, isn't it? So if there's no actual Israel, who is God talking to? He's not talking to the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. He is talking to Israel and Judah, which would be a total way of saying who? The people of God. Yes, believers, God's people. This is a new covenant with who? With God's people. Remember, this was the problem during the reign of Ahab. Well, not the problem. This was the good news, actually. Remember Elijah's freaking out because I'm the last prophet in Israel. There's no one left God. And God says, no, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the midst of that judged nation, there is still a witness and a testimony to the work of God. Jeremiah's message here is not to some long-lost nation and some nation that's on the verge of being lost. It's to the faithful people of God, which is kind of your first reminder here. We are talking, to, talking about something beyond borders and nations and birthrights. We are talking about the work of God that transcends all of those things. Remember God's people from the beginning. What marks really the beginning of Israel as the people of God? the Exodus. Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. This is important. This is the Passover marks really the beginning of their redemption from Egypt, right? No foreigner is to eat of it, okay? So if you're an Israelite leaving an Exodus, when you celebrate the Passover, how often? Every year. When you celebrate the Passover every year, who eats? Israelites. No foreigner eats of it. They're not in. They're out. But every man's slave purchased with money. After you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to, bring, uh, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But, 
If a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Let him come near to celebrate it, and he shall be like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same, sh- the same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. So what you've got is no foreigner, no travelers eat the meal. But what if they want to? There's a provision by which they do what? They become no longer a stranger or a traveler or a foreigner. They become a part of you. They become a part of Israel. What is Israel supposed to be? Is Israel just supposed to be this nation existing in this eastern coast of the Mediterranean? No. They're supposed to be the people of God. Does circumcision save any of them? No. It is an outward sign, as Paul tells you, of an inward reality. Which means, from their very beginning as a nation, the people of God were a joinable people. You could be an Egyptian, walk your butt over to Israel and be like, I want to be of the people of God. And they said, okay, here's what you must do. From the very beginning, God's people are a joinable people. Why? It's a fulfillment of promise. Genesis 12, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, talking to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Where is that blessing realized? It's in Christ. Israel is a picture of the work of Christ. Christian, are we a closed community? Do we put a sign at the door and check your membership card before you can come in? (laughs) Depends on who you are, right? Depends on the day in our mood. No. In other words, the church, as the fulfillment of God's people, is what? A joinable community. God's community has always been an open community. That's why the marking here. A covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's a reminder that we are not just speaking to you people in that land at that time. We are speaking to God's people down through the ages. A covenant that will bless the nations because of God's work amongst the nations. By the way, this understanding of your life and the world around you is one of the bases for hope. Matthew chapter 12. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. It's Christ quoting the prophecies of the Old Testament. Talking about the fulfillment is where? In him. That the nations are going to be redeemed because the nations will be in Christ. That hope, joy, love, peace, all the things of Advent are not found in this world, are not found in the provision of a nation. They are found in the kingdom of God accessed by the work that Christ has accomplished. In other words, we have hope because we have a working God who hasn't said, all right, there's the people, everything's done. Well, no, we're still working. We're still marching. We're still proclaiming. God is still accomplishing. Thanks be to God that he has redeemed, he is redeeming, and he will redeem. Therefore, we can walk hopefully in this world. Welcome to Jeremiah. How do you sit there for 50 years and proclaim peace and mercy and judgment and people just hate you for it? Because there's still a chance that God will redeem. 
there's still a chance that God will rescue. There's still a chance that God will change their hearts and their minds. Christian, welcome to your world. Because isn't this the complaint we have all the time? Is we keep proclaiming and they just keep scoffing. We keep proclaiming, they keep not listening. What do we do? Here's your lesson from Wednesday. If you've been missing out on on the Revelation study on Wednesday nights, constant thing. If the world hates you, what do you do, Christian? You walk faithfully. If the world loves you, what do we do? We walk faithfully. If we get everything that the world could possibly give, what should we do? Walk faithfully. If they take everything away from us, what should we do? Walk faithfully. It's the same message. It's the same message being proclaimed, demonstrated by Jeremiah, and being shown by the faithful, promised work of God. So, let's continue. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. All right, time out. Remember that covenant? That was kind of a big deal, Exodus 24. Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. So in other words, who signed up? They did. Notice all the alls in that phrase. Moses recounted all the words, all the words to all the people and all the people said, all the words we will do. So there was nothing left out. And then Moses wrote it all down so that nobody could forget. And then he took the blood of the sacrifice, sprinkled it on the people to mark them as part of the covenant. That's kind of a big deal because remember what's going on above them while that's occurring? God is still on the mountain with the whole lightning and the quaking and the thundering and the shaking and the shining and the glory, all that. All that is still going on. They're like, yeah, we are not going to go against that. And they they lasted five minutes and what happened? My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Good lesson here. What was the problem with that covenant? We were. (laughs) The problem with the covenant was people. People. Sinful, broken, idolatrous, selfish, pride-filled people were the problem. Matthew 26. Jesus went a little farther beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them praying with him, right? How did he find them? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, You men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is Paul's lament in Romans 7, isn't it? The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. What do I need? Who will free me from this body of death? It's the same refrain over and over again. It's almost like when left to their own devices, people don't change. (laughs) I mean, it's almost like that's, you know, replete throughout human history. That when left to ourselves... Our base nature, our true selves eventually come out. Christian, welcome to why we don't bar the doors, we just pay attention. Because if you're going to try to trick us, you know what's going to happen over the next couple of months, years? You're going to be found out. You don't believe me? How many of you have ever been on a diet? How'd it work? <laughs> Nobody ever talks about that one time they dieted. Why? Because it was never just that one time. Because something happened, I wanted this, I did that. Something always changes because who you are, what you want, always comes to the surface. Try to walk around and don't be angry if you have an anger problem. You know what you're eventually going to do? 
eventually going to explode. Try to keep all the money in your pocketbook when you have a spending problem. You know what you're going to do at the mall one of these times? Not that anybody goes to a mall anymore, but sorry, I grew up in the 90s. It happens. What's going to happen? You'll be like, ooh, you have, If you have a food problem, Thanksgiving, Christmas, eventually you're going to come around New Year's, and you're going to do what? You don't change. You have to be changed. Now, here's the question of the day that we always ask. What is new under the sun? Usually nothing. This is the one time there is something new under the sun. You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, that's kind of one of those obviouses. Yeah, you, you can't just wallow in your sin and be like, I'm a good person. That's not how this works. Do not be deceived. This is a list from Paul right here. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a list right there. Here's where it gets good. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's Exodus 35 that we talked about in action. Israel gets all this stuff from Egypt because of the work of God when they leave. And they're all sitting in the wilderness with what? We got all this stuff. And they're engaged in idolatry. I mean, where did they get all that gold to make the golden calf from? The Egyptians gave it to them. They had it laying around. Where'd they have all this stuff they wanted to use? They had it laying around. And yet when God works on them and God changes their hearts and inclines them towards the work of the tabernacle, what did they do? We don't need this stuff. Here, you use it. It's for the tabernacle. Here, take it. All right, you get it? That's all you need? Okay, good. Hey, you know what? I got more stuff. You, you, you don't need it? Well, I'll just leave it here just in case. But you're good. You got everything you need? Okay, good. Oh, we found more stuff. Remember, the craftsmen had to come to Moses and be like, tell them to stop bringing the stuff. We have enough. I can't do any work because I keep having to do inventory. Stop bringing the stuff. God had moved their hearts. Christian, this is where you stand. Such were some of you. Whether you were in that list or you weren't, you were in some list. You were on some sin list somewhere, and that was my problem. That was the thing I warred against. That's the thing I'm warring against. That's the thing that I can't overcome. That's the thing I have overcome. You're on a list somewhere, someplace. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You are justified. That's the work that Christ accomplishes. That's what makes the new covenant better. The failure is removed. Who was the failure? We were. Get us out of the way and who's now working? God. This is why I joke sometimes about that. Hold on. Don't ask me what that just was, but that was, you know, the motor wouldn't start for a second there. Some of you were like, we were this close. We were this close to going home early. Never. You know, I've, I made the joke all the time about those footprints in the stands um, pictures. How many of you had those? Be honest. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't surprise me that you had one. You... Okay, somebody else brought it for you. So it, it wasn't yours. It was just, it was just there. <laughs> That's the most dude thing ever. It wasn't mine, but someone put it in my house. Someone who shall remain nameless. <laughs> You said, and, and I've joked you, it, 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 look, they're not evil. I just like to pick on sentimentality because I'm, I'm a bad person and Cameron will vouch for that because you should be glad you don't have to live with me. I, I've joked that it's not the, so much that God carries us through all the difficult times as a lot of times he drags us kicking and screaming. 
whether we like it or not. There, there, there should be like marks of a dead body on, those, on, those, on the beach because the Holy Spirit just went, here we go. We're making it through this one because <laughs> he is faithful. He who began a good work will bring it until the day of completion, Philippians 1.6. In other words, sometimes in spite of you. Christ, the Christian blessing is not continually getting smacked in the back of the head and then getting drugged through. The Christian blessing is learning when the smack is coming and avoiding it. It's like growing up in my house when I was a kid. What are the things I'm not supposed to do? What are the things that are going to get me beat? Don't do those things, and I will survive until adulthood. Aren't you blessed that I did? Yay. (laughs) That's Christian walking here. I am renewed, therefore. Now, here you go. This is what separates you from the world. Because I am renewed, I actually see with clear eyes. I actually see with, you know, uh, I don't know, non-dumb brain. I can't think of a word for it right now. So there you go. That's, that's what I got right this second. That's what we're going to go with. So in your sinfulness, you look at sin and say what? I want it. It's not hurting anybody. Therefore, I'm going to do it. And sometimes you say, I want it. It might hurt somebody, but I'm still going to do it. Because some people are wired like that. In Christ, you look at it and say, I want it. It's not going to hurt anybody, but it's still wrong. Therefore, I shouldn't. And there are going to be days when you do, and there are going to be days when you win. The goal of sanctification is to have the days that you win start to outnumber the days that you lose. And that each day moving forward, the victories outnumber the losses more and more and more as you're walking in your new nature, as you're walking in obedience to the work of the Holy Spirit. So that he doesn't have to, you know, club you American Gladiator style and drag you across the finish line, but so that you can walk with God as you are called to. That's what's new, which, by the way, Christian, again, is one of your basis for hope. First Timothy chapter one, which, by the way, I haven't said this in a while. First Timothy one is the only, contains the only Bible verse you are allowed to argue with, okay? So as your pastor, you are allowed to argue with one verse in the Bible, and it is 1 Timothy um, 1.15, all right, which I'm going to get to in a second. I'll, I'll, I'll mark it by raising my hand. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. See, Paul calls himself, as the King James puts it, the chief of sinners. He is foremost of all sinners. That is the one Bible verse you should vehemently argue with. So when you get to eternity and Paul goes, do you like what I wrote there in 1 Timothy 1.15 where I said I'm the worst sinner? No, I didn't like it. You know why I didn't like it? Because you were wrong. You weren't the worst sinner. You know why I know that? Because I am. And you know what you should be doing right now? You should be arguing with me because I'm not the worst sinner in your world. You know who is? You are. But no, you're not because I am. See how this works? Always remember this about yourself. It wasn't something like, oh, I was almost there. I had clawed my way right to the edge of eternity, but I couldn't quite get there. And then Jesus drug me across the finish line. No, I was running the other way. I almost see right there. I'm going to burn myself up. Don't root for that. I saw those faces. I saw that. See, this is why you're the worst of all people. Right there. <laughs> 
You were running the other way on a dead sprint in the wrong direction, and Jesus went, mine. I want that one. And now you're going against the grain. Now you're traveling in the right direction, not because you wanted to, but because you are changed, and now you want to. That's the work that he has done. As one pastor, I put it years ago, when God got me, he wasn't getting something good. But everything good that I am is because of the work that he has done within me. Never forget that. Because Christian, that's where hope lives. Because if he can change me, if he can redeem me, the worst of all possible people, then that person who you think is hopeless is not. The message that we proclaim has the power to change hearts and minds. It changed mine. It can change theirs. Therefore, we persevere. This is why Paul can tell the Galatians, do not grow weary in doing what is good. Because this is part of the perseverance. Again, you want an object lesson? Go home and read Jeremiah for fun. Jeremiah got it. And because he got it, he also got it. Because the world didn't want to hear it. And what did he do? You get up each day and continue on. Christian, what do you do? You get up each day and you continue on. Why? Because I can't do anything else. This was Jeremiah's thing. I don't want to speak, but I have to. Because it's like burning in my bones if I don't proclaim the word of the Lord. This is what we want to get to, Christian. This is the place we want to be. I don't want to go against the grain of the world, but I have to. Because if I don't, it's like the Holy Spirit's whooping my butt 27 times a day. And you know what? After a while, I'm tired of getting my butt kicked. And I want to go the way he proclaims that I should go. Therefore, I do. Because he is working. He is changing. He is guiding. He is proclaiming. And therefore, I am walking in alignment, not with who I was, but who I wish to be in Christ. Because that is what the Holy Spirit has laid out before me. And again, he's the one who sent me here. I wasn't here originally. He's put me here. That's where I now seek to be. So, let's continue. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord, declares the Lord. All right, time out. After what days? Because we can't just like let that sit there. Let's rewind just for a minute in chapter 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. As I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, to bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. It's kind of a summary of that 2 through 29, the judgment. By the way, I mentioned the last couple of weeks that you should go read Isaiah because you can see both judgment and mercy proclaimed in the same chapters. Did you catch it right there in Jeremiah? He will judge their sin, he will judge their iniquity, but he will also do what? He will sow and he will redeem. By the way, you want to talk about how sinful humanity is? That little phrase that God uses was the phrase Israel was using. In those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What that was a phrase decrying was Israel's lament that we aren't the bad people, but our fathers and grandfathers, they sinned and God's punishing us for their sin. In other words, it's not me. It couldn't possibly be us. It had to be those people who did that sin back then. No, it's you. It's your sin. It's your iniquity. It's your judgment that is coming. 
not because of what your grandfather did. Just like you don't get to, you don't get to, oh, we'll use really bad non-biblical stuff real quick, right? You don't get to stroll up to the pearly gates and knock and be like, ding, ding, hey, I'd like to come in. Well, why? Well, because my grandmother was a really lovely lady and, and she gave to church and she went every year and she took me for a while when I was a kid and then I, I left and never came back. But grandma was really awesome about it. So can I come in? I mean, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? I don't care what the people say. I care what you say. Just like on that day, you don't get to go, well, pastor said, well, grandma said, well, no, no. What do you believe? Who do you follow? Where is your trust? Now, here's the really fun part. Do you know who knows that for sure? There's two people. God and you. Welcome to why I tell you. Go grab that mirror in the morning. Have a good long look. Notice how old you've gotten because that's what we all do first. You wake up one day and go, when did that old guy show up? And after you've gotten past that phase, then you can go, who am I? Where am I going? These are the conversations we don't like to have because, once again, what's more comfortable? More comfortable to go along, get along, follow along, to just do whatever, to not ask the hard questions. Because you know who knows what the biggest sin areas in your life is? You do. You know you don't deal with them because you Hide them in the corner. I don't want to deal with that. It's easier to just let that fester and grow. And, you know, it's kind of like men with an injury. You know, guys, when do you go to the doctor? When you absolutely positively have to. Not a minute before. Ladies, you don't understand this. No, we cannot explain it. Until I am about to lose a limb, I'm not going to the doctor. It's just not, a, it's not an occurrence. Like one time in my life, I've looked at Cameron and said, I need to go to the doctor. And she was like, I'll get my shoes. Because she, she realized that if I have admitted that I must go, something must be really wrong. And it was like I had swelling in my face and they had to drain it and everything. It was, it was quite disgusting. Sorry. <laughs> you're welcome. Enjoy your lunch, right? <laughs> you're not allowed to make that face. You watch that pimple popper show. Yeah. See, that's what that was like. Yeah. Sat on the couch all day with a compress while stuff came out of my head. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like the last time I voluntarily went to a doctor. So the next time will be when they drag me in an ambulance. So, there you go. That's what we do with our sin. I just leave it alone, pretend it doesn't exist, and everyone will be, and it'll be just fine. Nobody will look at it, nobody will cover it. And then every time you turn the lights on, what do you do? Mm. Turn the light back off. No, Christian, we can't. We know it's there. We know where we're supposed to walk. We know what Christ has done on our behalf. Therefore, we must do what? We must confront it, which means I got to be honest with who? The one person I like lying to the most, which is me. I have to do that work because. God will leave no stone uncovered. And he will not allow that to fester and grow if he loves you. Just like parents, when you see your kids doing something that's going to get them hurt, do you just let them keep doing it? Be like, yeah, that'll be fine, you know. Let them play with matches and dynamite. What could go wrong? <laughs> no, you do what? You take the matches and dynamite because you don't want them to, you know, be nine with no fingers. You, you want them to keep all their fingers as long as humanly possible. God loves you if you're his. He will not allow you to keep playing with that demonic power. He will not allow you to keep playing with that sin. He will not allow you to keep playing with that lie. So once again, learn where the smack from the Holy Spirit comes and do what? Avoid it. Deal with it before God needs to. Because he will if he loves you. And then worry if he doesn't deal with it and he just lets you go year after year, decade after decade, because that's a bigger issue. Because... Same reason you don't spank other kids, other people's kids in Walmart is the same reason God's not disciplining those whom he does not love, which means you have bigger issues that you must deal with. 
So, this is the covenant after those days. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. This is why that conversation is so important. Just because you have something and you know it, do you follow it? And I can prove it. Speed limit signs, go. <laughs> Let's be honest. For most of you, when the sign says 35, how fast do you go? 40, 45, right? Why? Because you know what? The sign may say 35, but they're not giving me a ticket at 40. Therefore, the real speed limit is 40. Like if I tell my kids, don't run in the house, and every time they run in the house, I don't do anything. What am I it's saying? That it's okay to run in the house. Now, I may not like it, but if all I continually do is say, don't run in the house, you shouldn't run in the house, but I never stop them from running in the house, what am I saying? I'm saying, run in the house. My rules don't matter. This is why you have to have the important conversation. Just because the law is there doesn't mean you'll apply it rightly. So, what must the Holy Spirit do to you to get you to apply it rightly? Before the smack comes what? <laughs> Somebody else grew up in a house like mine. <laughs> no. In order for the smack in the back of the head, you know, Gibbs style, to do any good, you have to know what? Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. You were given a new mind. Again, Christian, what separates you going in this direction from the people running over there? Christ, why aren't you running over there anymore, even when you want to? Because I know where it leads. Why do you know and they don't? Are you smarter than them? Are you more clever than they are? Can you read the signs? No. You have been given a new heart and a new mind. You have been renewed and transformed. Therefore, you can see rightly. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 4. I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Do you notice, I mean, how many of those words were describing their thought processes? A lot of them, right? Darkness of mind, ignorance of thinking darkened understanding, hardness of heart. They have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. By the way, when Paul talks about, in your New Testament, talks about sensuality, they don't just mean like that movie you're not supposed to watch when the kids are around. They're talking about the greed of the body, the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. That's not just sexual in nature. That's food, that's drink, that's everything. The things that I want are the things because I want them. If you don't remember what it's like to be a kid, ask one. Have some real fun. I'm sure you know a kid somewhere, either a kid, a grandkid, a niece, or a nephew. And I'm sure there is some toy that they really, really would love to have for Christmas because that's what we condition them for this time of year. Ask them if they can feel it. Because I bet you they can and you may be old enough, you don't remember what it was like like that, but talk to your kids and remember what it was like to want something like a car or a toy or a phone or a computer. It literally feels like it. Like, I need it. I can actually feel the desire for it. That's what sin does. That's when we talk about the lusts of the flesh. It's not just sex. 
It's everything that I think the world would be good. Everything that I think the world has that would be good. I want it. I crave it. That's what we're talking about here. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Always remember our formula here. In order to, if I want to change what you're doing, is that my first step? No, I have to first do what? I have to change your heart. Change what you want, because when I change what you want, I give you a new heart, new desires. Welcome to the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Then I have to change your mind, because now that what you want is different, the way you think about the world will be different. This is the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. And as you change the way you think about the world, you will then begin to change what? What you do. Go back to our diet analogy. Why doesn't it work to go to the Christmas party and go, I'm not going to eat the Christmas cookies. I'm not going to eat the Christmas cookies. Because you know what? They're delicious. And they're not going to be here next week. And in February, you know what there isn't going to be any of? Christmas cookies. I don't know why we have the recipe, but we don't make them in March. We only make them like the week before Christmas. Therefore, they're here, so I'm going to do what? I'm going to eat them. Now, if I want to have any success in that endeavor, I have to do what? I have to not want the Christmas cookies. Yes, I know this is an impossibility and an analogy, but just work with me here, okay? Why would I not want the Christmas cookies? Because believe it or not, in my life, I have done this. Why do I not want the Christmas cookies? Because I want something else. I want to lose weight. I want to not have whatever is in those. I want to eat, you know, what's over there. That If I eat the Christmas cookies, I'm going to be full, and therefore I can't desire that thing. Welcome to the work that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes in and points out to you that that thing that you've been wanting your entire life is sin, and it is wrong, and it is killing you, destroying your heart, mind, spirit, and soul. And now that you look at it, you go, oh, but it was so good. Yeah, but look at that thing over there. Oh, that's even better. I want that thing, that seat. Now, what's changed? What I desire. Now, when I think about that thing, do I think about how good it was? Maybe, but I start to tell myself what? It may have been good, but it's not that good. So I'm going to put that down, and I'm going to go over there. In other words, my actions were changed because my thinking was changed, and my thinking was changed because my heart was changed. In my house, this is cheesecake. We leave the Christmas cookies alone because there is cheesecake, and that is always the better thing. If you're ever wondering, homemade cheesecake is always the better thing. And here's the dumb thing of the day, and God is better than homemade cheesecake. Somewhere an Italian grandmother is rolling over in her grave. Lou can hear it. (laughs) But this is how this is supposed to work. My action, you can't start at the action level. I start at the heart level because that's where the evaluation takes place. That's where the thinking is changed because that's where the Holy Spirit is doing his work. You know where I want to be? I want to be where God is doing his work. And God doesn't spend his time slapping my hands to stop me from doing the stuff. He strangles my heart until I don't want the thing that I shouldn't desire. And that's the work I need to do is to get in line with who Christ is, what he has done, and then walk in that newness because I recognize what the cost for me to be here is and what the goal of living is actually supposed to be. So, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
that Christian is a basis for hope right there. 1 John 5. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You're going, how is that hope? He wins! He has overcome. He has conquered. Sin is defeated. And I know you're walking around going, it sure doesn't feel like on Tuesday afternoon that sin has been defeated. But it has. It has lost. So when you lose that battle, did God lose or did you lose? You lost. But here's the beauty of it. In Christ, did I lose? No. I've won. Because I recognize it. Okay, we've had a little bit of a setback. But am I on the road? Yes. Am I redeemed? Yes. Can I continue on in this endeavor? Yes. Can I fight again another time? Yes. His mercy, his grace, and his love abides because he is carrying me through. So in other words, that little moment, we're dragging along. Here we go. All right, let's try this again, and let's move to the next thing. Why? Because you are here because he has placed you here. He has redeemed Again, you didn't claw to the edge and then he drug you across the line. You were running the other way and he plucked you out and set you on the right path. And now he is refining, purifying, and keeping you because you are his. And because you recognize the cost that has been paid, the work that has been accomplished, you are seeking to avoid the things that would drag you off the road. Meaning you're working together. You are accomplishing what God is desiring because you are aligning with who he is and what he has done. So we continue. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord. Won't have to. This is part of the accomplished work of Christ. For they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. This is cool. Believe it or not. That's what's been hoped for, isn't it? I mean, go back to the garden. Isn't this the problem? What was true? Follow God. Follow what he has commanded. What did we do? We didn't. We were like, I don't know. That, that fruit kind of looks really good. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, did God really say? And we always forget that the answer to that question is always yes. Yes, he did. But we lie to us and argue about it. Pick up the story after that. <clears throat> Where did Abel and Cain learn to give sacrifice to God? No. God is no longer walking in the midst of his people. He has kicked them out of the garden. He has separated them from him because of their sin. So who taught Abel and Cain? Or is it, it's Cain and Abel, right? I always get my order mixed up. Who, ta- who taught Cain and Abel to offer sacrifice to Yahweh? Adam and Eve did. Which means they knew which was the right sacrifice. Always remember that. Why was Cain rejected? Because Cain was rejected. The sacrifice was wrong because Cain was wrong. That becomes the breakdown. This is the breakdown from the very beginning. They know. And they reject. It's almost like Romans 1 has been shown over and over again. Now, here's your next question. Why would Adam and Eve teach their children 
to offer sacrifice to Yahweh. Well, because God taught them and they knew, but look, let's be honest, when he gave Adam and Eve the choice, what did they do? They ran the other direction, which means they spent the rest of their time trying to do what? (laughs) See, I told you it's going to run into something eventually. At least it was this and not that, though, right? This doesn't burn the building down. (laughs) There's hope there, isn't there? If Adam and Eve thought they were done, God has abandoned us. He's kicked us out of the garden. We will never, ever dwell with God again. Does it matter what your kids do? No, it doesn't. Let's be honest. No, it doesn't. We've lost God. What else is there? There was hope. So we teach you how to worship, how to sacrifice, in the hopes that what? You will teach your children how to worship, how to sacrifice, so that who will know? Everyone. Everyone will know. Fast forward in your prophecies. Habakkuk. You know, it's a good day when we mention Habakkuk. This was his complaint. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that people toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wasn't this why Noah was a preacher of righteousness for over a century? The ark is being built for what? Salvation. It's redemption for Noah and his family. Do you just build that and tell everybody else to go to hell? Some of you were like, I'm thinking about it. You had me at hello. Bad. Repent. Repentance corner. Try again. No, this is why Peter can talk about Noah having that time and being a preacher of righteousness. Why am I building this giant ark? Because it's a means of salvation. From what? There's a flood coming. Oh, you're ridiculous. No, God is judging sin. Christian, does this sound like any message you might be proclaiming in the world today? By chance? That there is a judgment coming and that there is a means of salvation? And how many means of salvation are there? One. It's almost like there's nothing new under the sun with the one message of Scripture. This is the thing that matters. This is the hope. They will not say, know the Lord, because they will all know me and the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord. What was hoped for, going all the way back to the garden, going back to the work of Noah, going back to the work of the prophets, what has been hoped for in Christ has been delivered, 1 John 2. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. For this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. In other words, why could they leave? I mean, think about this. Why could we, because of our renewed heart, our changed mind, and therefore our actions trying to be in alignment with the work of the Spirit, why could we be walking and someone just go that way? How could they do that? Because you can't fake it forever. And the actions were never going to stay there long unless they were aligned with what? Mind and heart. They didn't know. They don't know. Therefore, who do they trust in? Who do they serve? Themselves. Who do they forsake? God. Now, Christian, what's the cure for that? He got me off that track and put me over here. What can he do? 
same proclamation that brought me, that Christ has come into the world to save sinners, amongst whom I am foremost of all. He can save me. He can save them. It's the same message, the same proclamation. But that's why they can leave, because they didn't know. The kingdom is not here, which means there are people walking in ignorance. There is coming a day when they will no longer be ignorant. That is not a day we long for if they are still in their sin, is it? At least we shouldn't be. Welcome to why he has been patient and why he has waited, because he is wishing for all to come to repentance. He is wishing for his people to proclaim his goodness. He is wishing and working and accomplishing all these things through his children as he has been from the beginning. Because Christian, it's here. You know. And if you know why you're walking, do you know what you can do? You can explain it to everybody else. That's when everybody looks at me. I don't know how. No, no, no. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And it is all the time. I didn't get permission to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway because I don't think she'll be mad at me. Some of you, you guys still remember Gail Hillier? Some of you do. She's still doing okay. I speak to her on occasion. Cameron speaks to her. She has not been amongst any crowds because um, her oncologist, because of the treatment she's been doing and different things, has just wanted her completely secluded. So she's basically, she does home health, and her and Matt have groceries delivered. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to and from home health and then gets checked up at her doctor. And says, but spoke to her the other day, and one of her home health clients is a uh, dementia and Alzheimer's patient who is gone more than they're around. And if you've ever been around someone who's at late stages of Alzheimer's, you know what I'm talking about. And Gail was in such a good mood because she went and she had a Bible that she was going to give to somebody else in her purse when her Alzheimer's patient was there. And when I mean there, I mean there, there for about an hour. And she goes, what is that? It's a Bible. Well, what's that all about? Because I've never really been able to understand that, and I don't know what it's about. <laughs> and Gail just was like, I don't even know if I know how to explain this, but because Gail knows why she walks, what does she explain? And about an hour later, that patient was gone. Not as in she's dead, but she's now gone. Christian, that's hope. Because in those little moments, in those simple little proclamations, walking, trusting, being faithful, God's work doesn't stop. Now, do I know what the outcome of that is? No, but God does. And what is our charge? To trust in what he is doing and to walk faithfully. Because you don't know. And you won't be aware until it literally hits. That's why you're promised grace when? In the moment. When they drag you before governors, then you'll know what to say. You don't know what to say now when you're going to get arrested for being a Christian. You know when you'll know what to say? When they arrest you. You don't know what to say now when your kids look at you and go, I don't know what I'm going to do. You'll know then because the Spirit gives you the grace for then. When, this goes back to last week. When can you be faithful? Now. I can worry about what I'm doing now. This is the work. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That's hope. The longed for hope of humanity is accomplished in Christ. Go back to the beginning of 1 John. 1 John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This has been the hope of humanity. And go all the way back to be, uh, where we started this morning with Jeremiah. This is a new covenant with the house of who? Israel and Judah. They don't exist. But they were God's people. Christian, 
We are a people because of who he is and what he has done. This is one of my favorite things about church. We don't belong together. (laughs) We're young, we're old. I mean, we have different economic things. We have different jobs. We have different life stages. Some of us have kids. Some of us have grandkids. Some of us have great-grandkids. I mean... So on, an, on any given Sunday, we have people that like have little kids and have great grandkids who are almost driving. <laughs> I mean, she she's not here most of this most Sundays because she's basically homebound. But like Kathy Lester has great grandchildren who have graduated high school. <laughs> I have kids in the house. We don't have anything in life in common. We got Jesus. That matters. This is what Peter's talking about. You are the people of God in 1 Peter 2. You weren't, but now you are. Why? Because of who he has done, who he is and what he has done. He has made us a people and brought us together, not because of us, but because of him. And not for us, but for him, that we would praise him, glorify him in all of our stations, in all of our life phases, in all of our testimonies, in all of these ways, that we would be the beacon that shines to his goodness and his mercy. We stand where the entirety of your Bible longed to stand. Do you think about that on a regular basis? Adam and Eve teaching their kids how to offer sacrifice, hoping what? That one day there's going to be a son born to the woman who will crush the serpent. Abraham leaving the only world he's ever known because God has promised a land and a blessing upon who? All the nations. David building a house, preparing to build a temple. Always remember, Solomon doesn't organize that. David organizes that. Why? Because God has promised that there's coming a king who will rule forever. Isaiah proclaims that. We, we, what we read earlier, the son born to a virgin who will be God with us. That's what his name, Emmanuel, means. God with us. Christian, that's where we stand. The walking of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is God with us. It is the fulfillment of everything that they've longed for. It is where hope has come to fruition. Are are you happy with the world? No. Of course you're not. You've experienced it. Is God done? No, you're here. If God were done, we wouldn't be here anymore. But we're here. Which means as they lived and walked and served in hope and marvel at the fulfillment that God has brought, we walk and live and serve in hope. Because Christian, it's not done yet. Read the end. He wins because he has already won. And the sin that entangles, the iniquity that corrupts this world is going to be dealt with. And that will be a frightening and yet a glorious day. But it is a day that we can still long for because it is a day where his work is accomplished. Which means as they walked in hope, we can walk in hope. This is what we are reminded of as we study scripture, is that God fulfills and accomplishes, that he has not forgotten, that he has not forsaken, and if he is willing, he who will not spare his own son, will he not freely give us all these things? In other words, 
He has come this far because of who he is. He will continue because of who he is. And the call to his people is to trust and live faithfully in him. Let's pray.